I'm Lauren. And I'm Austin. We are an interracial couple raising a biracial daughter and have regular conversations about the value of our different experiences and how we want to raise our child. We believe that God made people of different ethnicities for His glory alone. But like many other things sin corrupts, we have made a mockery out of what God meant to be good. And in comes racism, a very real problem plaguing our hearts and minds and therefore invading systems of this world. So we decided to hit the record button as we discuss race, division, unity, and how to live a life in opposition to this sin specifically. We hope you'll join us as we dive headfirst into current topics, discuss ways to live a life against racism, and ultimately seek on earth as it is in heaven, a place that will be filled with people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. You're listening to Grace and Race, a podcast about practicing anti-racism and promoting unity in families and communities. Hey, everybody. What it do? We just recorded the intro of this and we're not recording. <laughs> <laughs> so this is our second time talking, but it's okay. Maybe maybe it'll end up being better. So today we're going to talk about a topic that you may know about, you may not know about, you may know about, but you didn't know it had a definition and a word behind it, and it's called code switching. Austin taught me a lot about this kind of at the beginning of our relationship, and... It was something that I I think I noticed was happening, um, and then he just really gave me a lot of perspective. So I'm excited to talk through that and for you guys to be able to hear some of that perspective as well. Um, yeah, as always, uh, we would love if you're not subscribed to this podcast for you to do that um, on whatever whatever platform you're listening to this podcast from. That would be really helpful to us and um, doesn't cost you anything. It just notifies you whenever we put up new episodes. So go ahead and do that. And then if you um, if you would like, you could also leave a rating and review for us, especially on Apple Podcasts. That really helps kind of get the word out and grow our audience, which is always fun. So yeah, we appreciate that. But we're going to start out doing some roses and thorns. So Austin, I'm going to pass that baton to you. All right. Um, let me think. Let me think. So I guess I have an overarching thorn. Basically, just have a lot of stress right now, a lot of stress just building on me. And I guess my overall thorn would be I just don't feel like I'm handling it well. Like, just really angry, upset, um, hurt, frustrated, bitter, just not a lot of bad fruit. And so I've kind of been beating myself up, but also falling into that cycle. Just been in a cycle this past week. So. That's, that's been the stinky thing is just knowing that I'm upset, knowing that I'm mad and have a lot to process, but still not doing better in how I react. So that's my frustration. I guess a rose would be I'm very excited. I'm a speech coach and I have an in-person tournament Saturday. I'm actually hosting. It's the first one in Tennessee in the 2020-2021 season. And while I am sad that there's a lot of kids that aren't going to be able to make it, they're not going to be able to make it. But I'm very excited for my seniors and the seniors that are supposed you know, supposed to show up Saturday because they get an opportunity to be in person. And just knowing, you know, we can go to the grocery store. We can do a lot of things in public safely. I think science is showing us that pretty clearly, especially when we mask and distance. 
just knowing what we do in competitive speech, those are two things that we can easily do. And so being able to do that for the kids, whew, it makes my heart swell and I'm excited for them. Again, I wish everybody could partake in this, but my heart swells for my kids and every other senior specifically that is planning on attending that tournament. So my thorn is probably there was one day that Austin was at work and Eden and I were here and it was just kind of a hard day. It was, I was realizing that I am real pregnant and that, yeah, it, it just, it just makes things a little bit harder. It makes it harder for me to be able to carry her and all of that stuff. And so I think that was just a hard day of realizing that the rest of our days alone, it's going to take a little bit of extra effort to make them really enjoyable in this, in this very pregnant body. So that was probably my thorn. And then my rose, I don't know, it's been, it's been a pretty good week, but my rose is probably going to the doctor today and hearing little man's heartbeat. Um, and then just like all of the kicks and movements that he's doing, it gets always like really sweet at the end because I know that this is the last little season of, you know, of just me and him, um, and him being like part of me. That's really sweet. So yeah, that's probably mine. So today we're going to talk about code switching, and if you don't know what that means, good news, we are about to kind of define it for you. So Austin, how would you describe code switching? Ooh, okay, uh, again, a lot of our definitions is based on our experience, which we know why that can get tricky. It's also cool to understand where people, different people come from. So when I'm referring to code switching, I'm referring to changing up aspects of you verbally, non-verbally. I think it's mostly in a verbal setting. Making yourself fit in with a specific person or persons around you. Let me give an example. I think it's really, I'm trying to think of a universal example. So one thing that I've noticed for a lot of moms is there's a mom voice and then there's a phone voice. Mm -hmm. Did you did you pick up that when you were younger? That when your mom would answer the phone, it was a little bit sweeter. <laughs> it was a little bit nice. I mean, it, it, and it was really funny too. Like I remember my mom, she can go from yelling at me to hello. <laughs> right? She was just so clear. It, it, knowing, I don't know what it was, but speaking into the phone with a pleasant tone apparently was seen as a positive i don't know i'm not sure of the benefits of that specifically but i knew there was something to that and i remember hearing that all the time and so for me code switching turned into basically how it would interact with my black friends versus how would i interact with my white friends that's what it ended up being um, I also saw code switching, which is very, very clear. Everybody does this just with their friends in general and then their parents. Right. So if they're in front of their parents, it might be less slang uh, the way that they speak in complete sentences. It's going to sound a little bit different. And then when they go to school, get off the bus or whatever, 
boom, it feels like a different person. They're not a different person. It's just they relate to their friends differently than they relate to their parents. And so for code switching through a racial lens, it's like, okay, me speaking to my white friends versus my black friends, it is definitely different. And so we're going to talk about why is it different, where that kind of started from my point of view, and where do we think it will ultimately lead us? So basically what you're saying is that we all code switch to a certain extent, but code switching definitely has a a specific context within the conversation of race. Can you just talk to me a little bit about where the, the need to code switch comes from whenever you're talking about, whenever you're talking about race and specifically when you're talking about existing as a black person in America? Well, that's tough to say exactly. I can just tell you how I feel when I code switch. For a long time, I felt a pressure to code switch to try to show white people, hey, I'm educated. You know, you don't have to look down upon me. You don't have to have less expectations for me. You don't have to think that I don't have as much money or I don't have as much intelligence as you. I can speak your language, essentially. The other component was, hey, I can make you comfortable. I think a lot of people, especially white people, love me being around because code switching isn't just like how I speak. It's what I talk about. Right. So I can adapt to white culture. I can assimilate to that. I understand references, songs, uh, actors, actresses, you know, pop culture. I can stay, I guess what you will, relevant in that in that field. And it makes a lot of white people comfortable. I mean, what if I was just talking about things that I know a lot of white people don't see eye to eye on or they don't believe in or they don't experience? It would make them uncomfortable, right? So for me, it was like, hey, I can, one, be on the same level as you as far as intellect, respect, authority, things of that nature. And then, two, I can make it just super convenient for you and comfortable for you. I think those were the two biggest points that ran through my mind when I kind of started figuring out, okay, yeah, I can't speak exactly how I want to speak right here (laughs) or it might be interpreted. Uh, a poor way so it probably comes from that idea that the that like acting white quote-unquote is better or more professional or just more accepted is that right yes for sure okay so Here's a question. Did anybody ever have to teach you how to code switch specifically when you were in white spaces? (laughs) Nope. (laughs) That's the most interesting thing about code switching is you pick it up. You pick it up. You understand what phrases make white adults really excited and like hopeful and, and, you know, genuinely just tickled. You figure it out. And once you figure it out and you start testing it and you start saying wow that teacher looks at me different wow that employer trusts me more wow like you start to see these actions and benefits that come from it and you're like wow they really need me. <laughs> and so 
it's really sad because it's very clear professionalism is a soft word for typically white European root. That's really that's when someone says, oh, that's more professional. There is usually more professional to white culture. Right. Not to all culture, just it's mostly white. And so it's very, very tough because when you know that and you're interacting with people like that, when you're speaking like this, it it's no way around it. I'm speaking like, you know, I'm white, which is so backwards because English shouldn't be confined to a race. You see what I mean? So it's like I code switching is tough because you recognize, no, I'm not trying to be a white boy. But at the same time, you're saying, but I know how white boys sound. <laughs> you see what I mean? It's just a weird, weird dynamic. It's a very conflicting dynamic because there's a part of you that's actually pushing the, the problem forward. You're still pushing the problem forward. But at the same time, you're tired of getting trampled on and seen as less. So you so you want to figure out ways you can get your foot in the door. What do you think that that says about the way that we value and think about black culture as a society? Yeah, it, it, it lines up with the English concordance, right? Which I, I mentioned this maybe last episode, 1500s, black was seen as dumb and unintelligent Um, they even took it spiritual terms demonic just bad you know black is bad that's why when people tell me oh man you dress white it's usually you dress nice so i'm like okay wait if i'm dressing like a white boy when i'm dressing nice what does that mean on the flip side yeah so it's this really damaging message when we think like that that black is unprofessional, that black is not right, that black is not the norm, what it should be, right? You hear that kind of language and you start to pick up on it and realize, dang, so if I sound like I'm quote unquote black, doors are going to shut in my face. I want doors to open on this side of eternity, right? So the more doors that open, I have to act like them. I have to sound like them. I have to walk like them. I have to talk like them. I have to dress like them. So these doors can be opened. Because as soon as I push against it, doors start slamming in my face. Austin, what was the what's the first time that you conscious that you remember consciously code switching? Do you remember that? Or just the first time that pops into your head? First time code switching. Ooh, that's a good question. I haven't really thought about this. When was the first conscious moment? I do remember the difference between in middle school. So I went from Dobbs Elementary in fifth grade. And I was, I love the diversity of my school there. It was was awesome. And then I went to Blue Springs where in sixth grade, I was obviously the minority. So I do remember speaking differently, like at Dobbs in fifth grade versus when I got to Blue Springs in sixth grade. Like, I remember that. That's very clear. I was not taught to code switch between black and white adults. (laughs) Like my parents, like they literally whooped it into me. Like be respectful to all adults. They, They made that very, very clear. So it was yes, sir, 
no sir, yes ma'am, no ma'am. It didn't matter what color you were. They wanted that. Now, as far as my friends and relating to my friends and my peers, that's where it got different. And I think when I was in sixth grade, I was very, very quiet when I first got there because I was taking everything in. I'm just, I'm a people watcher. I got to see how culture works. I have to see how people move, how people, that that's, that's huge for me. So I took it in and I remember six, end of six, really start of seventh. I did start to sound different. I started liking shows that I wouldn't have probably liked. I started watching things because people talked about them at school. And I started making references there. I I just remember starting to co-switch really early middle school. I just can't remember a definitive flashpoint moment. Does that make sense? I just remember I started doing it once I started being in predominantly white spaces. I think something that's really interesting about what you just said, one, was that you you were talking about your parents and how they taught you to be polite to all adults. It It is interesting that, and I'm just, I'm just kind of processing this as you, as you're saying it, but that we do attribute, it's like we attribute politeness with whiteness mm. and like, this is not me like saying anything on you, but um, in that moment, it was like that 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 would be considered a black to white code switch, and it it really shouldn't be. <laughs> that's and I think so. I don't know that that's interesting that you say that because we're talking about race, and we're talking about you know how we should talk to different people, kind of in a similar but different way. And there are, I think that there are appropriate types of code switching that we do, but the, the, the problem is that we think about those whenever, whenever I think about those, it's just being polite to adults. Whenever people look at you, they say, oh, you're, you're talking white now. Does that make sense? So when I, I I'm being, I'm seen as polite and you're seeing as becoming more white. Mm. That's, that's basically it that's straight on I think the other thing that's interesting is that I do remember I think I remember the first time I consciously and I like I said I wouldn't have called it code switching but the first time I consciously remember doing that was whenever I was kind of being trained for maybe like job interviews or stuff like that but I was older right I was I was a lot older you are thinking about these things in middle school and it's not for something big that you're like preparing for. It's just for going in and interacting with your peers. So if that's the case, what do you think that the, the feeling and the pressure to code switch specifically in white spaces does to the adolescent black mind as they're growing up? It, it's what you said. You have to grow up faster. Right. You have to, because what we're talking about is trying to thrive in everyday life, not in a moment. Mm -hmm. And so it feels that pressure that you have on you, your job interview, that's on us on a Monday morning, on a Tuesday morning, on a Wednesday morning, Thursday morning, Friday, Monday afternoon, Tuesday afternoon, Wednesday afternoon. It feels like when we're in white spaces, we are on that job interview. And then that's why when we get home, we can let our hair down. 
It was like, oof, I can breathe. I'm telling you what, especially as a speech teacher, especially as a speech teacher in a predominantly white school, I used to, I mean, I used to do it more. I put some real pressure on every word that I said because I didn't want to be that stereotypical. Oh, this is, you probably think black people sound like this. You probably think black people. Like, I remember somebody came up to me at the school. And a white brother said, I'm so glad we have a black brother here on, on site. I was like, oh, goodness. He, he was excited, but I was like, that just put more pressure on me. Hmm. You know what I mean? Even in the compliments, I'm like, dang, I got to really bring it. I'm representing. <laughs> you see what I mean? And so it was just, it's just, it's tiring, but we're also so used to it at the same time. It's feels good when you don't have to co-switch. I love coming home and just literally saying, speaking in the dialect, not worrying about enunciating every syllable. <laughs> right like it feels so good to be able to just oh let me be me let me just talk but that's what typically happens we just we have to grow up faster mm. okay so here's an interesting question have you ever noticed white people code switching around you yes <laughs> can you talk about that a little it's bit it's so awkward that's i'm like this is an almost a non-debatable topic like <laughs> if you don't like <laughs> you know when you code switch around black people <laughs> and it's not just the whole what's up my homie or what's up dog or what's up brother with the a <laughs> it's not just like that it's like which hey some of that like especially the brother one i love that i i personally love that i'm not gonna say all black men like that or all black women like that i think that would be foolish but i'm saying for me specifically if you came up and said what's up brother and it was natural to you then i'm cool when you try to do it and it's not natural to you it's painfully cringy <laughs> like i know you're not you said i actually teased your sister one time it was hilarious she said i love you brother <laughs> My yes, I called her. I said, okay, you're still on ER terms, brother, because that was awkward. No, I'm just kidding. I just I just clowned her because it was just one funny, but two. And now you're clowning her publicly. She's all right. <laughs> <laughs> she gonna text me. She gonna be mad. But um yeah. Now we'll know whether or not she listens. That's true. <gasps> yes, don't say nothing about it. Ah, don't say nothing about it. That would be hilarious. Let a month go by. I'm really going to troll her. But yes, uh, long story short, I was teasing her, but it was still funny because I see so many white people do that to me in person. And it's cringy because, you know, they're not used to doing it. And it's like, don't change it up if you're not, if that's not real and authentic to you. You see what I'm saying? And so it's just really funny to see that or even the things they talk about. I don't know why a lot of white people love to tell me that they think fried chicken slaps. It's like, bro, you don't go to white people and be like, you know what sounds good? Fried chicken. It's like, wait, what are you talking about? It's like, oh, man, I really love watermelon. I'm like, okay, okay. Like, I mean, I do sometimes when I'm in the mood for it. But it's just funny how white people like go switch. It's just so funny to me. Uh, the things that are coming out of people's mouth because they're trying to, I don't know, speak, quote unquote, my language. I don't even know. But again, can some of it be coincidence? Of course it could. But when I just am so used to hearing that over decades, it's just like, okay, guys, 
what are we doing here? What, what's going on? I think that really goes back to the idea that, you know, in the skin that I exist in, I'm, I don't really have to think about my race in everyday life. Like whenever I'm in public, whenever I'm talking to somebody, I'm not thinking about the skin that I wear. Um, but that's not the case that is not the case for you. That's not the case for everyone. And it's like, even just in talking to somebody at the grocery store or going to work, like the things that the conversations that happen around or the way that you dress or anything like that, it brings in the fact that because of our culture, you have to be constantly aware of your race and how people are thinking about you how people are thinking about you based on that. Is that, do you think that that's fair? I think it's spot on. One of the most powerful things you ever told me was Austin, when you, when you were at, at our house in Nashville, you remembered, be, you know, waving at neighbors. And this is a predominantly black neighborhood. And so Lauren, like, would wave at neighbors, and neighbors would just kind of look at her like, hmm. What's, what are you doing? Like, what is this about? You see what I mean? And you was like waving and, and trying to be super nice. And I remember I came home one day and you were like, I don't feel like people trust me. You know, people look at me differently here. And and it's like, she wouldn't have noticed that. She was in a suburb. Mm-hmm. You know, she wouldn't have. She wouldn't have even thought about it. Even if people were looking at her like, mm, she would have thought, okay, they're just having a bad day. Or that that's not very kind. That's it. And then it would be over. But instead, she's thinking, oh, my goodness, I'm white. Because when you're a minority, it hits different. Like, y'all, see, so many of y'all don't believe in systemic racism. You don't believe in institutional racism. You don't believe in all that. But at the same time, you you don't walk in the shoes of a minority. You have to walk in the shoes of a minority. Like, go to a black neighborhood. You will think about your race more. I promise you. I promise you. And it'll probably be like really negative and really bad stereotypes because I have friends, y'all. I have family who's white. Like, I know this. Like, they tell me when they're in black neighborhoods, they're really scared of being seen as they have, you know, money or means and they're going to get jumped. Right? Like, people say that to me all the time. Like, there's reasons why I have friends who are literally scared of turning down certain streets while being white because they understand when they're the minority, when they're Less in numbers. It hits different. So imagine that across a whole country. <laughs> right? Imagine that like in a whole state. Like it gets it gets overwhelming when you know you were severely outnumbered. It, it gets overwhelming. So a lot of times code switching is a way to say, well, we can't change really the numbers. So it's how can we appear to be more comfortable? How can we make ourselves more comfortable? How can we make them more comfortable uh, so these interactions can be positive rather than negative so is there anything i'm genuinely curious i don't know what you're gonna say for this answer is there anything that that we as white people can do to help change the culture that that seems to necessitate code switching for the black community is there is there anything we can do and I, I know that one thing that you were just talking about is like 
okay, the answer is probably not start saying brother, <laughs> like leaving the ER off, right? The the answer is not us code switching necessarily. Um, so what what is the answer? <laughs> yeah, please, no code switch, <laughs> please. Uh, the answer is don't, if white brothers and sisters listening, don't make your way the right way. Don't make your way the right way. Don't insinuate that. Don't push that home. Ask. Listen. It really comes down to a lack of a microphone. When black people don't have the microphone, when they have to become the echo, are you hearing me? They're the echo in the room, which is whatever is white, they have to echo that. Whoever can echo it the best, well, that's going to be the open door. That's not right. So create organic, real opportunities where black people feel comfortable and supported and praised for speaking how they are, who they are, dressing how they are, who they are. I'll tell you one thing that I think was powerful in my school. We ended up doing something that was, I thought, phenomenal, which was changing up our uh, hair stance. You know, there were certain natural hairstyles that they called for so many years unprofessional. It was naturally black hairstyles. And so a lot of, I believe it was alumni, but also current people, they, they kept knocking on the door and saying, this isn't right. This isn't right. We shouldn't do that. This is a natural hairstyle. What do you mean it's not professional? Especially if we're, ti- you know, we're. it's not like we're just letting it go. We're <laughs> just waking up in the morning with bedhead. So it changed. And I'm thankful to God for that. It changed. And so the environment felt a little bit more safer, a little bit more secure, a little bit more. And we have to keep taking those steps. We can't just stop and say, well, we opened it up for here. We'll keep going. And so as you guys build cultures and environments and in places that are safe for black expression, understand it's going to require you handing the mic over the proverbial microphone and you turning on your ears and just listening. So I think that's going to be a huge component to it. I think also too, just empathy, well, sympathy, understand when black people feel pressure to speak a certain way and to act a certain way. Whew. I mean, your heart should break a little bit. It's like, dang, they really feel like they can't just be themselves. And, And here's the thing. Some black people, that is, that is exactly who they are. Right. Speaking that way for me, it wasn't Mrs. Young, my my speech coach. God bless you. For me, I had a terrible mumbling problem. And a lot of you who are close to me, you still hear it. It's faint and it goes in and out. But you can hear it, especially when I'm tired. And so she slapped a pencil in my mouth, (laughs) said, boy, you better enunciate. And so she would make me enunciate. And it was awesome. I mean, she, it was a fundamental to me being a national champion, a national runner up, collegiate, high school and collegiate speech. She was the foundation of that. And so it's very important to understand some people that is exactly who they are. And that's great. And that's beautiful too. But create an environment where you know a person's not going to be judged, they're not going to be seen as less, they're not going to be punished for sounding 
Like they're not in white, predominantly white culture. You got to roll up your sleeves. You got to get to work. And I'm telling you, I just think giving the microphone is just a very healthy way to do it, to build trust and love within your community with your black brother and sister. And it's just to empower them to really help change the environment. Okay, I'm going to like take a little turn here uh, because I just think that it's an important kind of side to this conversation. And it could honestly probably be a whole episode that I am definitely not equipped to um, even really facilitate. Um, So this might be something that we maybe bring somebody else on to talk about later. But Austin, can you explain just quickly what eubonics is? Okay. Basically, ebonics is what you would call, quote unquote, black speech. What do I mean by that? So if you trace it back to slavery, and I know y'all keep saying, why is everything tied to slavery? It's like, y'all, this is literally the foundation on why black people are here. <laughs> like, <laughs> come on. You have to stop getting tired of that. That's literally how we're here as we know it. Like, I'm not on this podcast right now in Tennessee if slavery didn't go down the way it did. Probably not here. So it it really is the foundation. So when you go back and you realize, oh, my goodness, slaves were not, people who were enslaved were not treated fairly, obviously, and they were not taught to read and write and to embrace English the same way so a lot of times they learn based on listening so instead of saying i don't know you might hear i don't know how do you spell that out i don't know (laughs) i-o-n-o instead of i don't know i don't know right and that would be carried out in so many other ways So I actually remember, my goodness, Lauren, you saying this literally, this is crazy. I remember having this thing called Hooked on Phonics. And I put, I used to put these headphones over my ear. And I would hear these voices talking to, oh, that sounded creepy as a mug. (laughs) (laughs) Y'all, that sounded like something from the Antichrist. Okay, sorry. That was creepy. Sorry. I put my headphones on and there was a cassette tape and the people speaking on the people speaking on the cassette tape would say sentences, phrases, things of that nature really clearly and crisply. It was very articulate. And so I remember, I don't know, this is all in my memory. Like I just pulled this out. Pretty sure I was elementary school, maybe, maybe around first grade kindergarten i don't know i just remember i was in 8926 tennessee in missouri that was sorry that was our address and i remember being in that office downstairs and i would my mom would make me go in there and do it do phonics do the yeah hooked on phonics it was called hooked on phonics but i just realized oh my goodness that was a counter to probably ebonics i mean i don't know let me talk to her i gotta talk to my mom and chop it up but wow that's crazy. That's just like hitting me right now. That would have been the first time I technically learned how to code switch technically. So the reason that I brought that up is because one thing that 
um, again, I, I'm not well-versed in enough to do a, a whole episode about this right now, but one thing that I have learned from friends is that Ebonics is, it is part of a culture. It is not talking lazy. It is not all of these things that white people that would would typically classify that as and that, you know, would be deemed quote unquote unprofessional or does that make sense? And so it's like one thing that I think we can do is we can, well, I think it's it's just kind of crossing a line if you do, but not correct people whenever they say certain things the way that they say. Austin, you gave the, I don't know, de- uh um, example. Do you have any other examples of things that would be words that would be considered part of Ebonics um, that people might use? Oh, you know what's funny? Do you remember that meme? The uh, cat meme Mm-mm. with the white girl who's pointing and like yelling. It's like on yeah. Facebook. There was a whole bunch of them where it was like mm-hmm. saying a word and then like the Ebonics essentially of it. And I, I know one that's always talked about is ask and acts wow yeah that one's brought up a lot like stop asking me right and people say it's not asking it's asking and it's like bro you knew exactly what i meant though like you knew it so badly that you corrected me like that's how clear it was to you that i was saying acts like you know what i'm saying like it's like it's like bro chill um so it's just one of those things where I don't know. I really understand. Like, Ebony is like, for me, oh, my goodness. My grandfather, I love him. Uh, God rest his soul. He actually was, I mean, in Mississippi, he was in the cotton fields. This is my grandfather when he was a kid. And he had, what, maybe a fifth grade education? I forgot. He had to drop out of school, like, super, super young. And he used to talk to me, and my goodness, I mean, that's how it probably sounded to you. And I remember being so frustrated when I was young. I was like, I want to connect with my grandpa, and I don't understand what he's saying. And my sister could understand, and my brother could understand. And that's when I realized, like, what am I doing wrong? I'm doing something wrong. I'm doing something wrong. So I just relaxed. I stopped being tense. I stopped just listening and looking at his lips. I started seeing his body language. I started seeing the things that he liked, things that made him smile. I started noticing context. And then before I knew it, I started understanding my grandpa. And it was so sweet when that light went off, like, oh my goodness, I understood what he said. Like it was an amazing moment. And it was not found by me saying, grandpa, get it together. You should have an edge. That, that wasn't it. It was me literally conforming to him. Right. Me thinking about him. Okay, what's he smiling at? What's he laughing at? What's he pointing to? I just started pumping the context around everything and I started picking up. So where I could talk to him on the phone, my mom would put him on the phone with me. Hey, Grandpa. Hey, what are you doing? And I was like, I could I could understand. You so so I, I, I love my grandpa, man. I miss my grandpa. And. I love that about him, that he was always himself. He wasn't ashamed. You know, he had to drop out. He had to take care of his family, and he wasn't ashamed of that. He just knew that's just how I was. 
And so I, I love him for it. My family loves him for it. Hopefully, did I answer your question? I'm sorry. Yeah, no, I think that that is a really helpful part of this conversation. And just, you know, the general idea of not treating people as if they are less than because um, because we speak or dress or do anything differently than one another and not promoting one group over the other um, which is something that we, you know, it's a that's a basic tenet <laughs> of anti-racism, right? Is not promoting one group over the other and, and being against doing that. And so I think when we talk about like, okay, what does this conversation mean for the for the broader conversation of anti-racism? I think one thing that I would encourage listeners to do, you know, if you have kids, if you're raising kids, um, Try not to teach them that certain things are more quote unquote professional or unprofessional than others, especially whenever you notice it has a cultural tie to it, right? So Austin brought up hair, you know, that afros are less professional, right? It, that's, that is harmful. Um, and it, it, I, I didn't, I grew up kind of thinking that and just being like, what's the big deal? Um, it wasn't until actually a friend in college was breaking it down, not to me, I just happened to be listening, but explaining that black hair grows in afros, <laughs> like that, that is how um, many people's hair just naturally grows, dreadlocks, like it's, it is a way to grow out your hair and Austin can grow out his hair as long as he wants. It's never going to look like mine unless he does something chemically to it to change it. And so if you're like, if you're teaching your kids, what's professional, what's not professional, all of these things, then it can have, it can have a serious effect. And similarly, I don't know how many people listening are in this situation, but especially if you're a white parent who is raising black or brown children, just be conscious of that. Just be really conscious of the way, and and I, I'm talking to people because I am one of these. I, I'm not, I've got a toddler and one on the way, and so I'm definitely not in any way equipped to teach anything about this, but I think one thing that I definitely want to do is not communicate to my children ever that my side of them is better than Austin's side of them. Mm. Even if it's subconscious, even if it's subconscious, even if I don't mean to, because I've got to be, because of our culture, I've got to be consciously aware that, that my, our, her culture, their culture is going to do that for me. So I have to go against that, right? I have to push back on that. So yeah, the way that we raise our kids and that we're teaching our kids matters because, you know, so much change can happen in a generation. And there's probably not something that we can all go out and do tomorrow that is going to make it to where black and brown people feel that they don't have to code switch as much. That's probably not going to happen tomorrow. But could it happen if, if a bunch of us are raising children and living that out in our own lives, could it happen faster than not? Absolutely. Again, it's probably not going to be perfect, um, but we can make big changes, especially whenever we're talking about the next generation. And then just generally, don't, don't treat people better whenever they quote unquote act white. 
whenever you compliment someone, be careful about it. I, Austin and I both did speech, right? We, we can both kind of turn on the professionalism talk. But I have not been told how articulate I am by like anyone. <laughs> Austin, how many times have you been told oh, how you're so articulate? <laughs> A lot. <laughs> well, okay. I want to say this too. Just be careful the wording that you use. Yeah. I would say one one thing that I've heard a white person say to me that was super helpful. They said, you're very dynamic mm. or powerful. Now, why does that hit differently? Because articulation typically stems around English, enunciation, things that has been a high priority, especially to middle and upper class white people in America. Right. So when you go back, like I said, to slavery, whenever it was black people who were enslaved, the enunciation was low. It was also low for poor whites. You see what I'm saying, y'all? And so there was this, this literally chain of command or better to say tiers of people. Lower the tier, lower the education. Mm. Higher the tier, higher the education. Now, of course, you're going to have people who are in one tier that don't belong in the other based on what society says. Of course, right? That's why a lot of people hate the athletes get paid what they do. Because you, they'll make fun of their interviews. Oh, my goodness. They can barely sound like they can read a book. But they're getting paid millions of dollars. That is so wrong. It's like, well, you're paying for NFL Sunday ticket. <laughs> so you're actually like, you, yeah, you're paying their salary, man. Like, you can't complain about it and then also be addicted to the game. But I digress. <laughs> what I'm saying is you have to be careful. And when someone told me dynamic or powerful that re that hits a better register than you're so articulate oh my goodness i told y'all in, in the past podcast like i i've seen some crazy stuff like i remember one of my black um just sharp brother he was he's on the community and uh, collegiate speech and he was handed a 20 dollar bill out of nowhere I think it was either 10 or $20. It was 20. It was $20. $20 out of nowhere from this old white couple. And they said, oh, my goodness, you sound so impressive. He was just eavesdropping in on our conversations. And he said, you sounded so intelligent and so impressive. Here you go. And just saying, like, you sound intelligent. It's just like, what? Like, what did you expect for you to give $20 to a stranger? Would you really have done that to some white kids? I don't know. Maybe they would have. But guess what? We know the history. And that's all we need to know for that to hit us the wrong way. Now, granted, mama didn't raise no food. We took that $20 because they handed that to us. But what does that say to us? Those doors open when we sound like them. Mm -hmm. That $20 wouldn't have been in my hand if I would have been speaking Ebonics. You see what I'm saying? And that's, that's a terrible message to send. It's a terrible message. So context matters. <laughs> context matters whenever... We're saying things to people and whenever we're communicating certain things. And a lot of times, kind of like I was saying earlier, you don't have to be consciously trying to communicate something for it to still be there. And so being aware of these things is, I think, 
a big part of the battle. It's at least the start of the battle. And so, yeah, we, we're we probably not going to get it right every single time. No, we're definitely not going to get it right every single time. Um, but just like understanding and being aware that code switching is a thing. It's a thing that we all do, but that it does have a very racialized context. And, um, and as much as we can create a world where we're you know, where we're not looking down on someone or looking up on someone because they're quote unquote more black or white, then the the better we can fight against racism. Does that make sense, Austin? Yes. Yes. And I think one thing that will help you is try not to sound woke or say the perfect thing every time yeah. a lot of this is going to be listening yeah you gotta listen to your black brothers and sisters and th- and they're gonna let you know they will let you know hey these are places where i feel a lot of pressure to show out or not show out see there see there again i just said <laughs> you see what i mean that to really put on a show or to really show i can sound articulate i can hang in this space it, it, when you start hearing yeah, you'll you'll get tired and you'll get exhausted. You're like, dang, I don't have to do that. <laughs> or or you realize, well, you don't have to do that. Well, guess what? Maybe not for you, but you don't represent the whole white race. <laughs> so don't don't stand up here and tell us, well, you don't have to do that to me. That's one person out of how many? We don't know everybody else. And you could be lying because you're trying to be nice. <laughs> or you see what I'm saying? So just have that tenderness, please. Have that patience, please. It's going to be super helpful. And, and if you're listening, slow to speak, quick to listen, you'll learn a lot. Just like I listen, there's a lot of metaphors to me understanding my grandfather. You got to listen. You got to watch. And you got to want to understand. That desire was there before I could understand my grandpa. Mm-hmm. There was a desire to understand my grandpa. There was a desire to hear what he had to say and value what he had to say. That came before the actual knowledge. So I pray that's the case for you with black and brown image bearers and your black and brown sisters in Christ. I think that's such a good point to end on is that so much of this anti-racism work is for for white people specifically is creating a space and a culture around us where we're doing a lot more listening than talking um, and where we're helping to amplify voices instead of always having to be the voices. that changed whenever I, whenever Austin and I, we've talked about this moment a lot, but it was after the Mike Brown shooting, whenever I kind of resolved. And again, I I don't say this is like, Oh, look at me. Um, because it took, it took some, some tough moments before this happened. But whenever I kind of finally realized that mm, I probably, even though I'm having questions, even though I'm, um, not getting this 100%, it's it's really time for me to stop talking. It's time for me to start listening. Completely changed the way that, that I started understanding things and hearing things not only from Austin but from others around me. Um, so that's, that's it. I mean, there are probably a thousand different ways that, you know, you in your individual life, in your individual context um, – 
can pursue this a little bit differently than I can or than someone else can. But um, at the end of the day, like, I don't want to be a place where people feel like they have to come around me and they have to they have to talk a certain way or they have to dress a certain way or they have to seem a certain way. So if I can start by just being a place where people don't feel like they have to code switch in order to be accepted um, or in order to be loved, then I think that that's I think that that's a start. And I think that we can we can all do better by starting there. Dang, that's a great start. And and I'm thinking about you and then our friends, like me and you, like you're right. Even before you knew a lot of your knowledge, you were a person where I didn't have to code switch around. And even if you didn't understand what was happening, you I didn't feel judged for it. And that goes such a long way, y'all. So basically, y'all need to be like Lauren. No, I'm just kidding. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, yeah. See, even he knows that's a joke. <laughs> but with all seriousness, in that aspect, for sure. Thank you guys so much for listening again. This episode actually ended up being longer than I thought it was going to be. How long are you? We're back to our typical 50-ish minutes. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I'm just going to stop saying it's going to be shorter, y'all, because <laughs> it's just, it always goes longer. We hit the 20-minute mark, and I was like, oh, yeah, we're going to end this, like, 35-minute solid. And Ooh. then... And then we didn't. But anyways, I hope that extra 20 minutes was helpful for you guys. I hope that um, you learned something and that you can love other people better because of it. So thank you so much. Again, we would really appreciate it if you um, would reach out and you would let us know what you appreciated, what questions you have. If you got episode ideas, we love to hear those things. Um, and yeah. We, again, we're on Baby Watch, probably going to be on Baby Watch for a little while if this little guy does anything like his sister. But, um, but yeah, so we might, we might disappear for a little while because we had a baby. We might have a really hard week because it's just the end of that season. So um, we appreciate your patience, and we hope that you will tune back in next week or slash next time we record. Peace. Thanks so much for listening to Grace and Race. We hope you enjoyed our conversation and also took away some points so that you too can better commit to practicing anti-racism in your own family and community. If you want to stay updated on episodes and join further conversations, head to laurengroves.me backslash join our list. That's laurengroves.me backslash join our list to join our email list. You can also follow us on Instagram at Lauren, two underscores, Groves, or Groves8070 to stay updated with our family and join conversations on our public platforms. Thanks for listening. We'll chat with you again soon.